Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We've had a cracking question from a listener to start the show this week. Uh, Patrick Conway writes, Hi lads, Paddy Irishman based in Korea here. That's his words, not mine. Your show both entertains and educates. Again, his words, not mine. The story of Kaiser, who never kicked a ball, has really captured my imagination. Could your panel give a top five of football stories which have made it to the big screen, please? I don't expect escape to victory or goal to be included, LOL. For a start, I'm not, I won't have anyone slandering Escape to Victory on this <laughs> yeah, show. Bloody yeah. brilliant film. That is harsh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Goal is absolute trash, isn't it? Yeah. Have you seen Goal 3? Uh, no. The guy, spoiler alert, I mean, if you're worried about having Goal 3 spoiled for you, I think you need to reassess your priorities. But the guy, Santiago Munez, I think his name yeah. is, dies in his own trilogy about 15 minutes into the third film. Really? They must have run out of, like, money to... Where's, where, what club's he at in the third film? I can't even fucking remember. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, me, it's Newcastle the first one isn't it yeah and, and then Real Madrid, Madrid. And yeah, then, yeah. I think oh that's it it's about the World Cup the third one uh, right. and he's like Mexican isn't he and it's about these guys who play for England at the 2006 World Cup and right. go out on penalties <laughs> 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 any other suggestions uh, there's the FIFA film which was oh United uh, Passions United Passions yeah that, it played in like one cinema didn't it for like one day and it mm. was, got taken out because it was so bad yeah I think it made about 60 quid in yeah uh, uh, that one with Ali McCoist. Oh, and um, Robert Duval. Yeah, can't remember what that one's called. Is it about the Scottish called, yeah. football? Yeah. Um, any others? Uh, it's not real life, but I love it. There's only one Jimmy Grimble. Oh yeah, that's yeah, it's a cracking film. Life, yeah, yeah. I suppose Kez. There's football in Kez. There is. Yeah, yeah. Roman, any any French examples of this? Has Gerard Depardieu played any? I mean, there is there is one famous old movie that everybody speaks about in France when it comes to football. It's called Coup de Tête, so it means uh, head kick, more or less. Okay. And it's with one famous old actor, Patrick Devers. It's kind of the of the story of an amateur player who make it to the Coupe de France and he managed to get his team to the to the cup final. So it's quite good. Oh. And there is also Giroud featuring in the. In the movie, so Giro is quite is quite famous in France. Oh, oh lovely. Yeah. Eric Cantona, he sort of uh, oh, yeah, a bit of a turn on the silver screen. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> made some movie, but not about not about football. But you made also a few documentaries about uh, big rivalries in uh, in Europe, in Manchester or in, uh, in France or in Spain. Also, mm. it's quite interesting. Mm. Isn't there meant to be a film for Jamie Vardy and Leicester? I think they scrapped that, didn't they? I mean, with good reason, really. It was. Uh, <laughs> I would have enjoyed that. The time's <laughs> passed. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the moment passed on that one. I think the moment's passed on this opening question as well. <laughs> yeah. actually, so we'll, uh, we'll crack on. Welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke. Joining me today is Alex Mott. Hello. Elliot Bretland. Hello. And Roman Velter. Hi. Uh, keep sending your questions in to us. We've got absolutely loads to get through today. And if you'd like to add to the pile, the email address to send them to is podcast at onefootball.com. And we're going to start today by looking back over this week's Champions League action. And where better to start with that game which took place at Old Trafford on Tuesday. Manchester United had just two shots on target in 39% possession. And it seems a lot of their fans were disappointed with how easy they made it for Juventus. Alex, did the performance surprise you at all from United? Um, I don't, I'm not sure if it surprised me. What did surprise me was Mourinho afterwards. It's very sort of Moisean in the way sort of looked at the game and said that you know you've, we were second best we were always second best we need to spend more money um, I don't know like I said if if David Moyes had said that I think <laughs> people would have really savaged you know Moyes I'm not sure why they're not savaging Mourinho he seems like at the moment he'd rather prove a point than win a football game mm. um, it's yeah it's a real worry for me if you know they came back against Newcastle when everyone's like right they're back it, you know they got a draw away at Chelsea but yeah they're, they're just they were so passive throughout the whole game you know they Pogba hit the post mm-hmm. that was their only effort um, throughout the whole game really Juventus just looked a complete class above they're you know they're the antithesis of United at the moment I think they're mm-hmm. well run they know what they're doing um, everyone they're so focused they're that everyone knows their job on the pitch and that's the complete opposite to Man United at the moment I think yeah well you mentioned Juventus Barcelona Real Madrid and Manchester City as teams who are a level above United I mean he's right isn't he but yeah. should a Manchester United manager be saying that Elliot absolutely not <laughs> and that, that was the as, as Alex said that was the problem why, why David Moyes failed so spectacularly was that he was Manchester United manager but he made have the, they were second best mm. to, to so many average sides and 
That's the thing with Mourinho. I think he's, as, as the season played out, I think he's downplaying expectations. Mm-hmm. And he knows the power he has with the media. But I was actually, I know United have been bad for a good while now, but I was really shocked at how they ambled to a defeat. I, it, it's almost like they they accepted they the one nil defeat because yeah. a one nil defeat is better than a three nil defeat yeah. almost. It's almost like Manchester United were happy with the defeat, and that it doesn't sit right with me. And I'm not a Manchester United fan myself, and I think Mourinho is good enough to win silverware with United. But for me, that was the first like alert for me to think that he's not the right man for the job just just his behaviour and attitude after that game mm. but they're in trouble now aren't they they've got they've got to go to Juventus away next then they've got Valencia away which you know is a different Massive place to go away, yeah. and obviously young boys at home but yeah they're in trouble now I mean they're not going to win the Champions League anyway are they so it doesn't really <laughs> no, matter no yeah. but they might not even get out of the group which yeah. is you know for a club that is all about you know the turnover and more money coming in. If they don't get out of the group stage, that's you know that's a real big dent for them. So yeah, I'm. Ugh, I just. I'm I, th- just I think you have to compare now. a lot of it to how would Sir Alex Ferguson act. That's what Manchester United fans will compare everything to mm. for a good number of years, and that's what you've got to look. And would Alex Ferguson have acted that way? No, absolutely no chance. No. No. Vizmit Agarwal asks do you think Mourinho's claim of a manhunt against him are genuine he gets charged for swearing and then the whole incident at Chelsea which you can't possibly blame him for I think you can possibly blame him for that can't you <sighs> that incident at Chelsea at the weekend I mean he didn't have to react in that way and if he, if he doesn't react but... the Chelsea coach doesn't get into any trouble Roman, what was your really... take on, on that I think it's part of the Mourinho show also yeah you always want to get the attention out of the football field because it's easier to speak about himself or about his reactions yeah. and what is going on on the field also. Yeah. Then, I mean, on the Juventus defeat, I think most of the teams would lose to, the, to that Juventus now. Maybe not in that way. Mm-hmm. But I think that compared to the, to the game that they did in Chelsea, which was pretty good, I think probably Manchester United is on the good way. Then the truth is that they don't have the team to compete uh, compared to teams like Juventus or even City now. Mm-hmm. So maybe the fans should uh, expect a bit less this mm. year also yeah I think they've got used to that already haven't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> Elliot you watched uh, Romelu Lukaku a lot during his time at Everton what on earth has happened to him he uh, hasn't scored since the 15th of September only four goals all season yeah it's crazy I think it's I think the way they play doesn't help him but for me it's a confidence thing mm. that there was a there's a viral video on Twitter mm. which showed him <laughs> played in so many times on one-on-ones and he looks confident when he as he goes around the keeper, but the finishing just isn't there. And that that was when he was at Everton, that was his one strong suit. You knew that if he got the ball in the box, it was going to end up in the back of the net. Mm. The problem with him at Everton was the rest of his play. Because the size of him, everyone thinks he's this flat track bully, he's gonna hold it up, he's gonna be great in the air. He's none of those things. <laughs> um his touch was appalling when he arrived. It got a lot, lot better. And I do think that he is good enough to lead the line at United. But the, the finishing aspect was the one thing that y- you could back him on. Yeah. And I think the way United set up, he was isolated against Juventus. And he's not the sort of player that you you, you play a pass into his feet, he's not going to hold it up. He likes to have the ball at his feet to run at defenders. Mm. And I think he said recently that United are still learning how he plays. Mm. And when you watch them, I think that's true. I think players probably know how to play him in but they're being told differently by Mourinho in terms mm. of the setup because he, as I say he was so isolated up front you need Marshall and Rashford running round him um, back at Everton mm. he had the likes of Delafeu, Barkley Morelos they were all always like it was a front four whereas at United I've not really seen that I've mm. seen him as the, the lone front man and yeah, he does get service now and again, but I think his confidence is just... Is it not time to take him out of the team, do you think? I um, think so, maybe. Everyone just... everyone compares Lukaku to Drogba, and that's completely wrong. For me, he's Ruud van Nistelrooy, and he's just a pure finisher, and if his finishing's off, then there really is no point to have him in the team, I don't think. Well, as someone said on Twitter, he's Danny Welbeck with a gym membership. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, a friend of mine wrote on Twitter that he looks like um, someone's waved a magic wand at a vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> but he is a good finisher on his day. He's no, a brilliant he, finisher. He, he could get 30 goals in the Premier League. But no at the problem. moment, like but you say, is, yeah, it, it's the supply. Sure. But then when the supply is there occasionally, because it's not there enough, when he does get the chance, it's almost like too big a moment for mm, him. Yeah. It, it seems like too big a deal. And he, you know, he's scuffing shots, he's hitting them wide, he's hitting them at the keeper. 
So, yeah, I, I agree with Alex. I think it is probably time to, mm. to take him up and mix it up a bit. Well, a lot of talk before that game was about Cristiano Ronaldo's romantic return to Old Trafford, but it was Paolo Dybala who stole the show, wasn't it? Do you think he's a player who's going to go on to fulfil his undoubted potential? I saw someone on Twitter saying that he's like the boy who turns up to class, uh, turns up for tests without having revised and always aces the <laughs> test every time. I think for me, Dybala is a kind of a joke F. Like in the 90s, he was really appreciated all over Europe. Mm. But he didn't make it to the top top class. I think he can. Oh, he played for Bolton Wanderers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's managed achievement during his career. But I think he was always a bit below Zidane, for instance, or below this top ta- top class player like Ronaldo. And I think Dybala, it would be the same. Mm. I don't see uh, a team built around him, for instance. No. He's still quite young, though. What is he? 23, 24, something like he's that. Twenty-four. So. Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah, like Roman says, he's you know he's still got a few he's you know, still got a few years before he really hits his peak. But I'd, yeah, I'm not wholly convinced by him. I think he's the one. If everyone's fit, I think he's the one that gets taken out of that Juventus team, mm. and I think that probably says yeah. a lot. Mm. I think I think if anything with Ronaldo coming in, that sort of taking it's going to be difficult for him. I think he can learn a lot from Ronaldo. But with such a talisman, you've seen him for Argentina when he's with Messi. He's not his usual yeah. self because the th- the thing you think of is give the ball to Messi, mm. and I'm sure the baller because he's still very young. His thought process right now is probably give the ball to Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, elsewhere, Manchester City won three 0 away at Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Pep Guardiola said after the game, the first half performance was the best during his time as a manager. Mm. Uh, but before the game, he said City aren't ready to win the Champions League yet. I mean, that's just nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, that's just dampening expectations. Do you I think? think. Um, yeah. They're, they should absolutely be getting to semi-finals or finals. Mm. I thought, yeah, I thought Shaq, the game in Shaq, in Kharkiv. Sorry, mm. um, yeah, they were brilliant. First forty-five, they were absolutely unbelievable. Before the game, I, I wrote a preview of the week's games, and this was my uh, maybe unexpected defeat for oh, City. Yeah. I thought yeah. Shakhtar might win it, but um, yeah, they were absolutely superb. They were on it from minute one. They probably should have been about five or six up. Yeah. Um, in in the first forty five minutes, to be honest, and I thought David Silva was absolutely sensational. He ran the game. Um, yeah, he was brilliant. Really, really, really brilliant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's ominous. I think for the rest of uh, certainly the Premier League, and yeah, if City don't make it to the semi finals or the final, I think that'd be a disappointment. Yeah. Agreed. I like it though. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, how did that uh, in, in, elsewhere in that group, how did that crazy 3-3 draw between Hoffenheim and Lyon go down in France? I mean, at the beginning of the game, everybody would have been happy with a draw in Hoffenheim. But at the end, when you lead 3-2 and there is only a few seconds to play, considering a draw, it's a, it's a bad result somehow. Then Jean-Michel Aulas, who is kind of the Mourinho of French football, the president of Lyon, <laughs> at the end he said that it's, ama- it's an amazing result. Hoffenheim is a, an amazing team and everything. But uh, a few seconds before the end of the game, they would have been qualified almost because they would have had uh, six points ahead of Offenheim and Shakhtar. Now they're only three points ahead, so they can still be uh, eliminated for, from this group. Mm. Is that a worry for Leon, do you think, now? I think it's a wor- the main worry is that they're not consistent throughout the game, but also from one game to another. Mm-hmm. For instance, during Sh- uh, against Shakhtar, they should have lost because they were really destroyed by Shakhtar. Mm. So you don't know what uh, Lyon mm. can do in two weeks against Offenheim or when they will go to Ukraine. So if they have to play their qualification in Ukraine, it can be worrying. Oh, yeah. Well, you assured me City would beat them four or five nil before. <laughs> yeah, the the but I think City is going to win the three <laughs> other games, so there is no question. Yeah. Uh, on Wednesday night, Rafinha, a player Barcelona have been trying to get rid of for 12 months, was selected ahead of both Usman Dembele and Malcolm. What's going on there, particularly with Malcolm? He's not. Why is he not playing? I think. Um, well, his agent has come out and said he's unhappy with uh, with the current situation. I'm not surprised, really. The sort of the rigmarole it took him to get out of the sort of Roma deal that they had to mm. then go to Barcelona. I think he's played 26 minutes yeah. so far or something. Um, I think with this case, it was just because Rafinha had been at Inter last year. He sort of knew the Inter system, knew how they played. I thought it was probably a sensible decision from Valverde. But yeah, it is interesting with Malcolm. I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I'm guessing behind the scenes. I remember when Alexis Sanchez joined Barcelona, however many years ago from Udinese, he said he had to relearn how to play football mm. because it was so different going from going from Italy to Barcelona, and I guess maybe going from Bordeaux to Barcelona. Mm. No offense, it's uh, <laughs> you know it's probably a massive jump. So same way with like Fabinho has sort of taken the mm. time to get in at Liverpool. Hopefully, Malcolm can uh, 
can make her play. For I've got a feeling he's not going to though. No, I, it seemed like too big a step up for me. I mean, you yeah. watched him more than yeah. more than us, probably, Roman. Do you think that was too big a step up? Yeah, for him? I don't think he has the quality for Barcelona. Mm. It was a huge surprise for everyone that Barcelona buys this player. In Bordeaux, he was playing more or less for himself, so he could do what he wants. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to think about the other players. And I think in Barcelona, it doesn't work this way. Yeah. And also, what he said is that Valverde didn't want him. And now he's showing also his, uh, his president and everyone that he didn't want this guy, so he will play him as least as possible. So. Yeah. What a shame. Mm. Dortmund were fantastic mm. in that 4-0 win over Atletico. You were particularly impressed, weren't you, Alex? Mm. Do you think Lucien Favre has really got a moving in the right direction now? Yeah, I thought this was the best performance of the week, maybe of the Champions League season so far. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. Um, I thought Axel Witzel has just sort of added something different to them. He's absolutely brilliant player really dictates the play for them um, and then going forwards Brun Larsson looks brilliant obviously Sancho came on and scored Hakimi I think he got three assists overall but they yeah. just completely swarmed all over Atletico which uh, it's the heaviest defeat that Simeone yeah. um, Oblak has never let in four goals before as an Atletico Madrid goalkeeper <laughs> so yeah I think if they keep this up I don't see any reason why they can't win the Bundesliga especially with Bayern's recent troubles and they they look absolutely brilliant. I, I can if they like I say if they keep this up, I can't see how they won't get to the quarterfinals mm-hmm. or or further. Um, yeah, last night they were brilliant, especially in front of the you know eighty thousand plus fans. It must really like if you're a certain type of player, it must really give you a boost. And um, imagine being Jaden Sancho, yeah, coming right, off the bench, yeah. scoring your first Champions League goal in front of that absolutely crowd, yeah, yeah, and uh, especially with that Paco Alcácer as well, who's been their main goal scorer. That'll give everyone else a lot of confidence in mm-hmm. the squad. So. Yeah, they'll, they'll be going into every game now thinking we can absolutely win this. Um, yeah, they were they were superb last mm. night. But, but on the other hand, Atletico Madrid were poor, looked really, really poor. Griezmann and Diego Costa looked like they'd never met each other, like they <laughs> played up front with each other for six months. They He's been were, dreadful to Costa this yeah, season. Yeah, they, they were awful all over the pitch. Felipe Luiz was really bad at left back. Even Diego Godin, who I think is brilliant, just had, just had one of those nights where... Yeah, nothing went right for them. So, um, but that's partly down to Dortmund's, yeah, just how good they were. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Quick word on Mo Salah. He's now scored 50 goals in 65 games. The quickest a Liverpool player has ever reached that tally. Even you must be impressed by that, Elliot. Not so. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the thing that hurts me with that one is that a lot of my red mates tell me that Duncan Ferguson only scored 60 goals for Everton in a decade. <laughs> <laughs> but I must tell them on this podcast, he actually scored 74 in all competitions. So that's what we're, we're sticking to. Yeah, and who would win in a fight, Mo Salah or Duncan <laughs> Well, exactly. I think we all know the answer to that yeah. one, don't we? Um, no, but yeah, last season was ridiculous. And that's the thing with, with a season like that, the expectation is huge the next mm. season. And I think he has been out of sorts. I think he has put in a few below-par performances, but I think the way he plays and the way Liverpool play, now he's got he's got three goals in two games. I think that'll be the catalyst now. Mm. Uh, right before the derby in December, which is good. <laughs> but that, I think that'll be the catalyst. I think he'll go from strength to strength. I still, I still don't... Like last night, I know he scored two. One was a penalty. I think he's just overall play. I, I still don't think he's quite on it like he was last year. Sort of zipping around all over the pitch. His movement's not great. Um, but he can still finish, which is which was the big question mark before he joined. You know, you know no one questioned his pace, mm. but everyone said, "Can he finish?" And he sort of and he two right-footed goals in two games, which yeah was, was rare for him last year. So um, I still don't think he's completely on it, but um, yeah, it's like I say, it's a bit of a yeah. I would say the problem this year hasn't been the goals as such I think he's been trying too hard to score them right. and I think that's had a detri- detrimental effect on the team I think mm. I wouldn't describe him as a hog as such no. but there's been passes that he could have made and he's, he's, he's gone for goal and I think that's what's let him down this season mm. I know he's had he's had a lot of off-field problems with the Egyptian FA and since the World Cup and he's very he was unhappy with the way he was treated um, sort of taken out for press you know, photo opportunities with you know, controversial characters in Russia and stuff. So I can understand why that might be playing on his mind. Um, but I think it was it was like uh, this after the second international break last season when he really kicked on. So yeah, potentially that could uh, that could be the case this year as yeah. well. Uh, the other game in that group, PSG snatched the point against Napoli with a late Angel Di Maria goal. In a bit of trouble now, though, aren't they, Roman? Do you think? Yeah, they're, I think- What's, what's been the biggest problem in the Champions League this season? Yesterday they didn't deserve to get a point. Mm. They should have lost. Mm. 
Ancelotti outsmarted uh, Tourol, like in the first half. Uh, Paris was completely lost. In the midfield, they couldn't cope with the with the rhythm of, uh, of Napoli. Mm -hmm. Amsic was uh, playing with Verratti and Rabiot. I think that the issue is that uh, everything is uh, smooth with Tourol so far. He wants to put all his star in the best position. So, for instance, now he's playing more or less in 4-2-4. But the issue is that Mbappé, Neymar, Di Maria and Cavani, they don't do a lot of efforts. So, in the end, uh, for Verratti and uh, Rabiot, it's really difficult. Even more when you have two uh, defenders on the side that are not great defenders mm -hmm. with Bernat and Meunier. So, I mean, in Liga, it's enough. Like, uh, they can just attack and they don't need to defend. But when you play against Liverpool and uh, against Napoli, they don't have the intensity and they don't have the collective uh, cohesion. That's what Tuchel said also yesterday. Isn't that always going to be the problem though? Ligue 1 is always going to be... I think the, the main issue is not Ligue 1 because, they, for instance, Lyon, they also play in Ligue 1, but sometimes they can do uh, great uh, performances in, in Europe. I think the main problem is the mentality in Paris. Mm. They give too much freedom to Neymar and Mbappé. And I've... And I think that the issue is going to be that they will take out one of the attacking players. And I think it will be Cavani who is going to be sacrificed. And I think the, in the end, it will be only Neymar and Mbappé up front. And they will build the team so that those two can only attack. And that was need to like they took Cavani off yesterday. And I thought that was he, he was their best attacker from what I saw. Mbappé was hardly involved. Neymar did nothing. But Cavani's always going to be the one that gets sacrificed, yeah. isn't he? The issue is that Cavani is the best scorer of the story of his, the history of the club. But he's, he has always been sacrificed. And people just uh, point out the goals that he missed and not the goals that, that yeah. he puts. And in the end, he will never get out uh, Neymar and Mbappé. Because they can do something during the game. Yeah. Even though yesterday, as you said, Mbappé, he did nothing at all except one thing in the, at the beginning, at the first minute, and then he was a shadow of himself. So do you there's think a it's lot of politics in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone talks about the intensity of League One. Uh, League One is, is perhaps not um, helping them. Do you think it's more a case that they don't actually have the squad to compete for the Champions League? They've I got two or three world-class players and then a few, a kind of average squad, really. I think they don't have the midfield to compete mm. in Champions League. The defence, they can cope more or less. Goalkeepers, they have the, what they need. But the midfield, you cannot go in Champions League only with Verratti and Rabiot. Yeah. They are good football players, but they are not like Casemiro or Conte, mm. willing to sacrifice for the other players to play. They, are, they don't have this quality and they need somebody like this in Paris Saint-Germain. You can't win the Champions League by bringing on Lasana Diara <laughs> 20 minutes to go, can you? And the worst is that Lasana Diara is never in the group now. Yeah. So they never managed to buy this number six that they needed for the last, la past two years. And as long as they didn't, I don't get this guy, they will not manage, I think. Mm. Well, leaving the Champions League now, heading over to the Premier League, I want to talk about Arsenal's 3-1 win over Leicester on Monday night. That's now 10 wins on the spin in all competitions for the Gunners, and only two points off the top of the league as well. Should they be considered genuine title contenders yet, Elliot? I think they should. Oof. <laughs> Big shout. I really do. I think, that, I think that the run they've been on, they've shown that they've got the, the consistency. They've got, they've got match winners, I think, all over the pitch. I think... You know, if, if they go and lose the next three games, I wouldn't be surprised as such. But I think what they've shown so far, what, what Emery's done, um, good substitutions, um, really good displays by certain players. Um, no, I do. I think that the state of the Premier League at the moment, the way it is, I think I think they're going to beat the teams that they should. And I think that's that's quite a big deal. And so far into the season, I think two points off the top, you said. Mm. And I, I honestly think that they'll be up there. But they the two teams that are better than them that they've played they've lost to but that was the first two games of the yeah, season yeah but then they've played West Ham Cardiff Arsenal Everton Watford Fulham Leicester but in, be yeah, but, yeah, but in the past they haven't and that's yeah but that the doesn't make them title contenders I think that makes them top four contenders yeah I, I don't think yeah. that makes them title contenders we'll see when they play Liverpool the start of the month um, start of next month then they've got Tottenham at the start of December then Matt, so they got Tottenham start of December, and then a week after they got Man United. So I think that's that's when we'll really see if they're proper title contenders. Yeah. Fair, you know, they've been. I've said it on on the podcast before. They're coached now. They're, they're a team that's been properly coached under Wenger. That wasn't the case for five years. He just sort of let them get. Well, he just sort of let them get on with it, and then that's <laughs> and then they would, you know, beat teams really well, and then they'd obviously have 
terrible results against whoever, Bournemouth, whoever. But yeah, they're properly coached now. But and I like Emery; he's a good coach. But I just, yeah, I, I don't see them beating the better teams personally. Anthony Lewis has been back on. He says, I know you all, except Dan, my guy, didn't consider the Arsenal team goal v Fulham the goal of the season, mostly because the defending was so poor. With the absolutely fluid third goal Arsenal scored against Leicester being no luck, no break, just pure control, do you think we've seen the goal of the season from Arsenal? Alex, you were particularly critical of that Fulham goal. So yeah, because the defending was a joke. <laughs> um, the goal against Leicester was a lot better than the Fulham goal, I thought. I don't think it was. Mate, come I on. prefer the Fulham one, but... The finish, obviously the Ramsey finish was better... But the whole move was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was Arsenal. Yeah, like they, they're prone to seeing at the Emirates at the moment. They've got their Arsenal back. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. They were really, really good against Leicester. Although I would say the first 45 minutes, Leicester were much better. And if not for some poor finishing, they probably could have been two or three goals down. And then it obviously would have been a bit of a different result. But um, yeah, that third Arsenal goal was absolutely superb. I, I, yeah. I don't think they'll score a better team move than that this season, mm. personally. Ollie Robertson says, I don't know if you've been watching too closely, but I feel like Lucas Torreira has had a massive impact on Arsenal. Not only having a huge impact with tackles and passes, but bringing the best out of Granit Xhaka and freeing Ozil of any defensive responsibility. Just wanted to hear what you thought about his initial impact at the club and how much Arsenal owe their recent form to him. Yeah, he's he's been the difference, I think. Um, he was he missed the first few games. Um, and everyone was sort of questioning why you know, they paid 30 million for him, why he wasn't in, in the squad. Um, Emery's put him in now and yeah, and he's made an, a huge difference. And like Ollie's just said there, he's really brought the best out of Xhaka, which helps. Xhaka, when he's on his own in defence midfield, is just kamikaze mm. he can't, and can't be trusted. Whereas with Torreira there, just sweeping up, um, yeah, he's, he's really sort of he's the base of that midfield and he lets everyone else play which is what they need um, I think yeah if they keep him in the sides yeah I can, yeah, like I said I can definitely see them being top four contenders especially now you know now Man United are 10th six points behind or whatever they are um, yeah I think he's been a brilliant sign for them and he, and he, he was what they were crying out for for the past three four years mm. and I'm yeah I'm glad that they've finally got that player in fact he's probably what PSG are yeah calling out for someone like that um, yeah he's been a brilliant player so far for them really really impressed yeah really he is good impressed. isn't he yeah. across North London Spurs have quietly notched up their best start to a Premier League season with seven wins from their open nine games do you think there's possibly an argument to say that not signing anybody had a bit of a galvanising effect on Spurs I mean they were rubbish in the Champions League this week weren't they but yeah I think, I think for there is a thing isn't there in, in the social media age that you've, you've got to sign players for progress and mm. As we all know, that the, the first eleven is really good and can can beat anyone on the day, and there is that squad depth issue. So I think it's something to look at throughout the season. Mm. But yeah, when you look at the squad on paper, it's still very capable of getting top six, top four. Again, I don't, I don't think it's an issue. But I think when they get to January, yeah. depending on where they are in the season, they will have to, they will they'll sign. Have to spend. Yeah. yeah, they will. It's not like they didn't want to sign anyone; they just couldn't, and they didn't want to sign for the sake of it. Um, when I heard that it had been their best ever Premier League start, I was absolutely amazed. But then when you actually look at the results, they haven't drawn any games. They've won seven, lost three. Um, they, and it's just a testament testament to how good Pochettino is, is as a coach. What he's doing at Tottenham is not normal. And it's not normal Spurs, is it? They're, they're consistent now, which they never were. And I know they'd lost last night, but you, know, you can speak about Lloris and, and that. But... I think he's doing such a good job at Tottenham and he's exactly the sort of manager that Real Madrid should be going after at the moment. Mm. Um, not that I think he'll leave mid-season, but um, yeah, the job he's doing with those players is just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Something I'd say about Tottenham as well and for the rest of the league, I think Tottenham's run shows the chasm in quality between the top six and the mm. rest of the league because mm. I think there's a stack going around that this year. Um, I think since like the 1800s, there's a 83 teams have won seven of the first nine I think it is I might be wrong on mm. this but it, it basically it doesn't happen a lot and this year five yeah. <laughs> five of the teams have done yeah. it. it it does it shows that the top six against the rest you're more often than not going to win mm. so there, I think there is a big gap it's the greatest league in the world though isn't it <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Elliot, since you're here, speaking about teams outside the top six, we might as well talk about Everton. Yes. It's been a bit of a mixed bag of results under Marco Silva so far, hasn't it? Have you been happy with how things are going? Or I mean, I'm, you seem very frustrated whenever I'm watching you watch Everton. So. <laughs> the thing is, I was very frustrated for 85 minutes against Palace. Yeah. And then the, the two goals we scored sort of shadows you challenge your judgment of the game and because when you first asked me am I happy I go yeah we've won three on the bounce but mm. when you look at the performances I think basically Everton's hands are tied at the moment and Marco Silva's especially that there's players coming back from um, injury uh, Yeri Mina big sign in the summer yet to play a game mm-hmm. Andre Gomez came on and bold claim after one match but I think he could be a real difference for us because what Everton have lacked in, in, in the last few seasons is the midfield base we play Gay and Schneidlin together and you're essentially playing two defensive midfielders Schneidlin's a very good passer but he doesn't get above the pitch now mm. Gomez against Palace he passes mm. and he moves lines, yeah. <laughs> yeah he really does he'll pass and then he's an option he's always an option and I think the way we play with you know we, we like to play with uh, one up front and maybe three behind but those three behind haven't really been able to help the front man um, in the last 18 months but I think having that other midfielder now to push on mm-hmm. get the ball playing get the movement I think he's going to be key but as I say I think results wise some of them could have been better but I think we're still getting to grip we're getting up to speed there's there's new players there's you know fitness problems um, so I think Silva basically he doesn't know his best team yet but I think it's impossible to know mm-hmm. I think if you ask the fans it's it's very difficult just because of the amount of players that have come in. Yeah. They've got a very interesting next five games as well. Man United away on Sunday. Then, Easy three points. Yeah. Then Brighton at home, Chelsea away, uh, Cardiff at home and Liverpool away. Now that is, that's key for everything and that's, that's a positive because last season we had I think four or five of the top six on the bounce and that's what cost Koeman his job because it was, it was thick and fast, we were playing badly. And when you go to the top six, it's when you play badly, you get punished big time. Mm-hmm. Whereas this season, you know, we've we've got we've got Brighton after United and we've got Cardiff after Chelsea. Now Everton have a horrific record against the top six. <laughs> and, and this isn't even recent, this is in Premier League history. You've got to go to the nineties for most grounds for when our last win came at the likes of Stamford Bridge, uh, North London and Arsenal, Tottenham. I mean Tottenham we've we've won a few times, but it's like one or two wins. Um, whereas now we've we've got a chance to bounce back up against yeah. the team at home that should be winning. So although we we might not get three points at these <laughs> at these away games, there's a chance to bounce back and sort of keep a bit of momentum. It's not you know ideally Everton yeah. won't go on a five game beaten run now. So I think a, a positive season for Everton will be just not getting in the top six, but keeping in touch with them mm. f- with the top six for as long as we can. That, that for me as an Evertonian is what I'd like to see this year and then with the signings we've made and you know hopefully January the summer we can add to the squad I think next season is the time that I think Everton can be genuine top six contenders mm-hmm. Everton could be a, a good FA Cup team that's that's what they strike me as, as. I wish they were <laughs> I really wish they were 23 years and counting but no that, that's the thing with Everton they should but in the League Cup that, that's the only bad mark against Silver this year is that we had Southampton in the League Cup and we've played a weekend team mm. and it's just it's 23 years yeah. yeah. I mean this season as well but besides Everton any team from 7th to 12th the way the top 6 is going 7th to 12th you've got to be going for the Cups mm. I think because that's your chance because the stakes are so high for the teams above now with you know Europa League even Chelsea and Arsenal that's their, that's their ticket to the mm. Champions League as well if they don't get top 4 mm. I think the FA Cup should you know the the the, the rest of the Premier League should be coming all off for that, especially a club like Everton. I rather foolishly predicted at the start of the season that Maurizio Pochettino would be the first manager to be sacked. Mm. Don't think that's going to happen now, but but then nobody has been sacked, have they? No, yeah. So who, if you had five pounds or five euros to put on it now, who would you go for? Uh, Yukanovic at Fulham. Yeah, they spend all that money and they just can't defend. They're on to concede 116 goals this season. Um, Yeah. They're what their classic team. They sort of, in terms of, they played really well coming out of the championship and have tried to do it in the Premier League and just can't do it. Um, so yeah, I think he'll be getting the boot sooner rather than later. I think. I think they just look a much better on paper. 
they're on the pitch. You know, they made some really good signings where you look and you think promoted team. But they made some know. very good forward signings. Yeah. In an area which they didn't really need to improve, yeah, they needed exactly. some new defenders. Yeah. And Alfie Mawson's been really disappointing at centre mm. half. I think um, they signed two new goalkeepers, neither of which are playing. But that's, that's the shocking playing. bit of business, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So yeah, but I think Ikanovic just looks at a loss. It feels like he's doing what he can on the on the training pitch, and I think that he feels like there's not much more he can do because his, his post-match interviews lately, there's a lot of frustration mm. there and. Yeah, you know if the players aren't good enough, as mm. we say, and you're playing against Premier League attacks, what are you meant to do? Mm. Sam Allardyce is waiting by the phone. Isn't <laughs> yeah, <he>? yeah. <laughs> Just before we leave England, Pedro Bahia has been on. He says, "I was wondering if any of you have been following the Championship, and if so, have you any early thoughts about which teams might get promoted this season?" Uh, I have. Leeds is probably. Uh, no, I don't think Leeds will. To be honest. really, they started really well, and they just they've gone off the boil a little bit at the moment. I think that they're sort of doing the typical Bielsa season where they start really well and then they're just knackered by Christmas. Middlesbrough are the best, well, they're not the best team to watch, but they're the most effective yeah. team in the championship. Tony Pulis, yeah, he'll get them back up. West Brom are doing really well under Darren Moore. They're, they're a really interesting team. And Derby are doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Lampard's, he's, yeah, really interesting how the job he's doing there. So... Obviously, you know, you could sort of throw any any names in there, really. Mm. 18 of the 24, but yeah, they're the three I'd go for. Right I keep now. seeing clips of Norwich City playing like Barcelona recently, so I think I agree with Alex. We don't agree about Arsenal, but <laughs> we agree on the championship, but I think they're the three. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Barcelona, there's a rather large game happening in Spain this weekend as uh, they take on Real Madrid on Sunday. 2002 Productions has been on he says uh, with Madrid playing like Aquins and Stanley don't you think Barcelona already have this in the bag even without Messi and why hasn't Lopetegui been fired yet any possible candidates to replace him um, I d- do Barcelona have this in the bag even without Messi I don't think they have it in the bag but they're certainly massive favourites for me um, I think the way that Madrid have been playing recently they're just a shadow of what they were last season they don't really have any leaders on or, on or off the pitch mm-hmm. and the manager I watched them against Pills on Tuesday. They were awful. And the fans were booing. You know, they really let Pilsen back in the game with a late goal and the defending was shocking. Mm. Um, I think to the second question, why hasn't Lopetegui been fired yet? Uh, from what I understand, he they've already decided that he will be fired. They're just waiting for the best time to do it. Um, they there's and there's no sort of obvious candidate. I know Conte is is sort of the favourite and I think he'll be the one that does get the job eventually. I think the sticking point with that is Real Madrid want to give him a contract until the end of the season and then probably go for Pochettino next summer. Whereas Conte doesn't want a six-month contract. He wants two, three years. He's also in, currently in legal battle with Chelsea, which complicates things a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Real Madrid might have to sort of pay some sort of compensation there, which is... Um, not helping. Um, and then the other candidates are Guti and Abhishekhtas. He's Abhishekhtas at the moment. Mm-hmm. They've said that they'll let him go if he, if they want him. And then you've got Raul and Solari at the youth teams. So, and Roberto Martinez. <laughs> yeah, and Roberto Martinez. So there's no obvious candidate apart from Conte. And then there's complications. I mean, there, if they're so. going to hire one of those people, is there any point in sacking Lobotegui? Well, exactly. I guess it depends how bad it does get. If Because I remember when Benitez was manager... They lost the Classico, I think it was probably about this time of year, end of October, November. They lost 4-0 and the board had decided that he was gone. But they waited until January because, you know, that they just felt that that was the best time to do it. So I guess as long as they keep in the top four and get out of their Champions League group, there's sort of no reason to sack him just yet. But... Um, yeah, I think it's sort of inev- inevitable that he's he's gone. Mm. Ahmed Al-Majibi has written in to say, what has Lopetegui changed tactically that's made Madrid so impotent in attack and leaky in defence? It seems like they pass around the 18-yard box endlessly only to end up crossing the ball to not enough players in the box. Or is it that the core players are getting older? As a Madrid fan, watching the matches have been more of a chore than entertainment. He should try watching Oxford United, shouldn't he? Uh, we're not as bad as that. <laughs> um, I think the problem is... Lopetegui hasn't done anything. Mm. Um, they just... he, The players just don't respect him as a coach. He has no obvious influence on the sort of... the senior members in that squad. 
it sort of really crystallised it for me this week when that clip of Sergio Ramos going mad in training at mm. a youth team player kicking a ball at him there was no one sort of being like you're, you can't do that you're out of order they were just sort of letting him get on with it and it sort of seems to me him, Marcello um, maybe Karim Benzema the sort of older members of the squad they run it and Lopetegui they, and they know that they have a direct line to the president mm. and the president is fine with that so the coach is just a yes man um, so he, yeah he's done nothing really um, I think Zidane knew when he left in the summer he knew things needed to change and there were problems and he left at the right time you know they finished 18 points behind Real Madrid uh, behind Barcelona sorry last season so, so there's obvious problems um, and Lopetegui just doesn't have the sort of force of will or the personality to make those changes and he's not really a big enough name so mm. he got the job because there weren't any candidates got the job in a technicality of allegedly recommended <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> he got the job because there weren't any candidates and because of the timing and to be honest that's the only reason that he's keeping his job at the moment because there weren't any candidates and because of the timing mm. so give, um, give a gooty the end of the season yeah. <laughs> so yeah I'd yeah they're just sort of drifting for the moment mm. until someone else comes in I think prediction for the classical Roman I think Real Madrid is going to win do you? yeah oh, wow <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me actually I think the the main players they will take their responsibilities for this game mm. so maybe I think for the rest of the games they don't want to play so much or they don't really care I think also the thing is that for instance Varane came back from the World Cup and now he's not doing anything he's really tired Modric is the same Marcelo is, he more or less wants to play for Juventus apparently mm, yeah. So yeah, there is an issue also with that. And I think the other issue is that they probably took Lopetegui to try to change the face of the club, to, to put uh, the young Spanish into the, into the team. So it worked more or less with Asensio. But for instance, it doesn't manage to give a space to Ceballos, even though Kroos and Modric this year, they don't do anything. So as you say, this is he's be, he's in between. I think he wants to play with this young Spanish, but in the same way, he knows that if he puts Madrid on the on the bench or even Courtois at the beginning of the season, at one at one moment there will be politics involved, and he will have to do what the yeah. president says. So, it's a difficult job, also. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm going to go two-two draw with my prediction. Yeah, yeah. I think Real Madrid will win just because it's a derby and the form book goes out the window. Mm. That's all I'm back at base now. Except the Merseyside derby. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go for a Barcelona win then, since no one else is backing them. Yeah. Elsewhere in Europe, there's a pretty big game in France on Sunday too, as PSG travel to face Marseille in the one they call Le Classique. Yes. Roman, did Marseille have any chance of causing an upset in this game? I mean, if we look at both teams, it's going to be very difficult, even more because Tovin should be out for this game. But last year, we also thought that Paris would trash Marseille at, uh, at the Velodrome. But in the end of the game, it was 2-1 almost at the end of the game. And Cavani scored a free kick mm. to make it 2-2. So you never know in this kind of game. It's, it's a real like, uh, derby also in France. So it's uh, completely different from the rest of the games. Mm. We know all about PSG's players. But who, apart from Tovani, you mentioned isn't going to play. Who are Marseille's players that could make the difference in this game? I think they will rely a lot on, on Payet. Because he's also taking the free kick and he's putting the pace in the team uh, in the midfield they will want to take advantage of uh, Paris uh, weakness so it will be up to Luis Gustavo and even more Strootman mm -hmm. because he came uh, from Roma as the as the big uh, signing from the summer but so far he's not uh, very consistent so it will be a good game for him to show and I think the other key man is going to be Mitroglou uh, up front uh, he's not playing all the time, he's in a balance with uh, Germain, but I think for this game it's going to be him. And uh, He's this kind of player who has character to to score in these uh, big games. Um, Adrian Rabiot is a guy who's got a big character as well and it looks like he might be staying at PSG, is that right? Apparently, yeah, he's going to sign for a new for three years a new contract. Uh, he really likes Paris Saint-Germain, he wants to stay in Paris Saint-Germain. The other thing also that we discussed before is that uh, there is some kind of comfort in Paris Saint-Germain. Mm. You are not uh, really uh, in balance with anyone. You can play a bit as you want, so they like it there. And the money is good also, so yeah. <laughs> there is no reason to go away. Was there any sort of 
concrete offers from other clubs that he was there was talk that he was in negotiation with Barca or? apparently with Barcelona it was really uh, concrete he spoke uh, not him but uh, his mother who is like the, the, the agent He's, she spoke a lot of time with uh, Eric Abidal who is the, the sport mm. director in Barcelona so apparently it was really concrete they wanted to wait uh, so that the contract ends to give him an offer in uh, January mm. and it's, Neymar appears to have poured cold water on those rumours that he's going to be leaving PSG doesn't he do you think they've just seen his tattoo and thought, whoever, you know, the interested parties have thought, no chance, we're going there, this guy. I think he is going to leave next summer, probably. Because in, he might see that in Paris he's not going to win the Champions League and in Ligue 1 there's nothing much to do for him. So I think he will move. And Real Madrid probably they will need to make a big signing or this kind of club. So it should be like this. And mm. Mbappé will become the real star of uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Good for him. Thierry Henry's managerial debut got off to a bit of a disappointing start. Monaco were beaten 2-1 by Strasbourg uh, last week. They drew uh, 1-1 with Club Rouge in the week. Um, they were at home to Dijon this week. Do you think Henry's going to be able to cut the mustard as a manager? See what I did there? Yes, yes. Really nice. Uh, I think that the main issue for Henry now is his players. Uh, for instance, the defensive line. You still have uh, Raji, Glick, Jemerson and Sidibe, who were more or less there two years ago. But now most of them, they are above 30 years old and they are really weak. For instance, yesterday against Bruges, it's like a miracle that they didn't take a second or third goal. Mm. This is the main issue now for Henri, and he cannot really uh, make uh, anything out of this defensive uh, line. So he wants to play with three central defenders and to really uh, protect uh, this, uh, this goal. Uh, but I think he has the good attitude. He's really calm on the on the side. And I think that's what his, this team needs. And also, when you hear him speaking before, after the game, he really has a nice approach. So I think with this team of Monaco now, he he will cope more or less. They will not uh, be relegated. It's for sure. They might even be uh, in the Europa League in the, in spring. Uh, but I think they will make some signing probably during the winter, especially in defense. Mm-hmm. And if they get all the all the players back, they can be something. Because now they are missing Falcao, for instance. Jovetic, he, was, he only played for eight minutes yesterday. But if you have, for instance, Jovetic, Falcao and Golovin together up front, you can start to play football. Yeah. And I think he brought something positive also to the team. And that's what they needed. So overall, I think uh, it will work in Monaco for him. Let's hope so. Patrick Vieira, meanwhile, at Nice. It's not been going brilliantly for him, has it? For now, they are 14th in the... In the um, Table. Table, sorry. <laughs> um, it's the same. He's really calm. He seems really confident. The main issue for Vieira is completely different than for Henri. They don't score any goal. They just scored uh, seven goals uh, this season. Mm. Uh, of course, the main target is Balotelli because he's really uh, in uh, poor shape this season. Otherwise, uh, Vieira managed to find a good uh, tactical system for this team. They play really well until the 20-25 meters from the opposite goal, but they don't get they don't get this guy who scores the goal. So I think it will work also for Vieira. He just need to get back Balotelli uh, in shape. And mm. uh, from what we saw last uh, last weekend against Marseille, it's, it's on the good path. So it will work. They will not finish uh, in Europa League or in Champions League, but they will finish. Uh, in the middle of the table and I think for, for this season it's like a transition in Nice and for next season it should be really interesting Yeah and after a, a really bad season last year Lille are currently second in Liga, aren't they? What's been, uh, what's been different for them this season do you think? I think we, dis- we mentioned Bielsa before uh, uh, last year they had some good players but mostly young players so Bielsa wanted to play the Bielsa way but they couldn't uh, d- tactically and physically they couldn't do it mm. Now I think they are a bit more pragmatic with uh, Christophe Galtier, who is really a good uh, league and trainer. They also made some good signings during the uh, summer. They got the Fonte brothers. So especially in the back, it's a real help to have the European champion of uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. And up front, they got Bamba from Saint-Etienne and Icone from Paris Saint-Germain. And those two players with Pepe, it really helps them to have a good uh, playoff transition. And in counter-attack, they are little. That's how they win most of their games. So I think they made some good signing and also the way the team is built and the way they are playing is much more uh, pragmatic and they play as they should considering the, the strength of this team. Mm. 
Does Jose Fonte still do that thing from the World Cup where he doesn't leave the pitch to celebrate goals? Do you remember that? (laughs) Weird couple of months, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're running rapidly out of time, but we're going to finish today with a question from a listener. Akash Gupta sent an email which had the subject line, shower thoughts on football. I hope you got out of the shower before you wrote (laughs) to us, Akash, or at least dried yourself off, because... I got some fluid on a MacBook once it went out like a light. <laughs> it was beer, by the way. That sounded yeah. a bit perverse, didn't it? Uh, anyway, Akash wants to talk about young talent in football. He says, is there potential harmed in this new era of internet where they are hyped and there's a lot of pressure from fans, clubs and media outlets? If so, what are some of the players you have found have not met their potential in the recent past? He gives the example of Ricardo Caresma. Yeah, the first one, when I saw this question that came to mind, we actually mentioned him just then, was Steven Jovetic. Mm. I remember him, when he signed for City, I, th- I thought he was going to be absolutely brilliant. And it just never worked from there. And Well, you can tell me more about Monaco, but he sounds like he hasn't been... I mean, you, can, you can see one. that he has a huge talent, but uh, he's uh, injured one game out of two, and yeah. you would expect more from this kind of player, mm. especially in Liga. A friend of mine once saw Steven Jovetic in the supermarket while he was at City and he had a shopping cart full of bags of rocket. That was all that was in it. That's probably why he's not fulfilled his potential. He needs to survive on more than rocket. And uh, another one was Anderson at Man United. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was sort of... He always looked decent, but then he... Well, I don't know what he's doing now. And he, I have no idea what he's doing he's now. Back in Brazil? Brazil? Probably, yeah. yeah. They usually are, aren't they? He didn't sign in second division in Turkey or something like this? That sounds like 70. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Elliot, Francis Jeffers. Francis, yeah. Fox in the box. <laughs> yeah. Danny d- Cadamartry. Yeah. That's, that's about him. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> no, Jeffers is one of those players. He's He was a bit like a hippie or an Osman. I think mm. if he hadn't gone to Arsenal, he'd still be at Everton now. Yeah. 35, just three goals a season. <laughs> Comes on now and again. <laughs> but he's a scouser, so it's all good. <laughs> Well, Alex Mott is the big one for me. Yeah. What was once a professional footballer, now he works for one football. Yeah, I can't think of a more dramatic fall from grace than that yeah. for you. <laughs> Do you remember um, Michael Johnson? Yeah, That's yeah, I do. Yeah. I remember not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. That was, it's such a shame. For mm. how he was brilliant, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Came through the but, ranks at City yeah. and looked wonderful player, had injury problems, had mental health issues and mm. all sorts and never, never really made the grade, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a shame that, you know, when you say about the social media aspect, the pressure on players that he was playing and then I think he must have retired it. But what was he, 25, 26? If that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I do, I think the demands on players now are so huge that you have to be a good footballer, but I think you've got to have, you know, you've got to be strong within yourself mm-hmm. to deal with. Mm-hmm. I think the criticism must be terrible. And, you know, I think... Footballers, I think they're very brave if they have social media accounts. Mm. I always wonder how much of the sort of stuff that people are writing to footballers they actually see on social media. Yeah. Do they have it all turned off? All the I notifications? Think most of them or? Don't. You just can't. You can't allow it to. But I mean, would you even read the paper if you were a footballer <laughs> no, or no. anything? Like, no. This must be, yeah, so much pressure. Yeah. But, you know, that's what you get paid 200 grand a week for, isn't it, basically? Yep. <laughs> and we're under a lot of pressure and we don't get paid 200 grand <laughs> yeah. a week, so. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for today. Thank you to my guests, Elliot, Alex and Roman. Thank you to you for listening and we'll be back next week. See you then.